<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 519. It's a best of, a replay of an episode that I really like. It's from our first year of the podcast from 2011, and it's with Nikki Glazer. Uh, we are sponsored this week, as always, by BetterHelp.com Online Counseling. Highly recommend it. It's really nice doing it from the comfort of your recliner or your kitchen or wherever you feel like you ever feel like doing it. Go to betterhelp.com slash mental if you're interested in checking it out and then just fill out a questionnaire and if they feel that they have a counselor who is a good match for you, they will pair you up with one and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's your thing and you need to be over 18. Otherwise, they'll direct you to teencounseling.com and they are licensed in all 50 states. Here now, that episode with Nikki. I'm here with Nikki Glazer. And would you, do you prefer Glazer or Glassmaker? <laughs> I never thought about it. But I go now old I'm school. Glass maker. I go old school. Uh, Nikki and I met about uh, about a year ago. We were yeah. at the uh, Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, and you were nice enough, sight unseen, to come do my podcast. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, I think, a great experience for both of us. But I never aired it because um, you had. Uh, well, you, why, I asked why did you, you not tell me? To, yes, and you 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 didn't. Which is, I thank you so much. Oh, I felt so bad. What a dick would I have been if I had, course, if I had aired it? That's true. But um, I did feel, I felt conflicted about it because I, we stumbled onto some stuff that I didn't know that I, I wasn't even aware was going on in my head. And so I felt, I left feeling like I had said too much or that I might upset a family member, someone who might hear it down mm -hmm. the road. And I, I thought about it for a couple of days and then I, I emailed you and asked you, could you not? air it and um and i felt like you know what a waste like i wasted his time and but i felt like i got so much out of yeah, it i, I did really... too i did too so i oh, i never good. feel like i've had mm -hmm. a couple other people ask me not to air their episodes okay. and and i i never feel like it's uh, a waste of time i feel i feel like it's uh am i ever disappointed that i can't air stuff sure but ultimately yeah. um they're they're nice fun conversations with people where we get to talk about stuff that we normally just bury. Yeah. And so I I, t I totally get it. But when I emailed you and you said you were willing to uh, to try it again and kind of 
avoid the the stuff that you would rather not talk about right. for for the other person's sake, not for your sake. Sure, because you certainly uh, opened up uh, in uh, about yourself yeah. in a way that I I, I was really uh, oh, my thank hat you. my hat was off to you. I tend to overshare, and I'm just mm. I have to be more mm. aware of who that could impact because mm. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't have any humility or when it comes to that. So I'm pretty shameless. But um, yeah, I have to worry about other people. Yeah, hurt feelings. I was on um, uh, Mark Maron's on on WTF, and he he hasn't aired the episode yet, and may never, as far as I know. But uh, afterwards, I said something that I was like, "Oh fuck, I want to take that back." I said that that literally every male in my family tree is an alcoholic, and afterwards, the majority of them are, but. Literally, Literally everyone is not, and uh, mm-hmm. I would say 95% are, but afterwards I was like, oh no, what the fuck? And so I keep thinking, I keep kind of secretly hoping that he never airs that episode right. or maybe I should e- email him. So I, I totally, I totally get that. And people take the word literally, they use it so liberally now. So that so misused. You could, yes. So it's you, literally you have- overused. <laughs> Um, (laughs) For those of you that have been living in a cave and don't know who Nikki is, she uh, kind of came to national prominence on uh, Last Comic Standing a couple of years ago. She's a touring headlining comedian, super funny, and she has a great podcast called You Had to Be There, which she uh, co-hosts with uh, Sarah Schaefer, and they do it in Sarah's apartment in Brooklyn. Yes, correct. And uh, they have about a dozen people mm-hmm. uh, sit in, and they have a musician, uh-huh. and they have a, 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 a fellow comedian generally as a, as a guest, and it is, it's unique, and it's entertaining, and it's... Uh, it's just everything I was telling Nikki when when she came over before we started rolling. It's everything I think the podcasting medium should take advantage of. There's a vulnerability mm-hmm. and a and a, a a sense of eavesdropping that I, my best po- my favorite podcasts yes. have that quality to them where I'm, I feel like a fly on the wall. Me too. And especially because you and Sarah, um, uh, well, maybe it's because it's the first um, podcast that I've listened to that has two female hosted by two females that uh, I grew up without sisters. So I especially kind of like listening in on girl talk. Yeah. And you guys get into stuff. um, No holds barred. I know. It's awesome. Thank you. It's just awesome. It's really fun. Yeah. So if you haven't checked out, uh, you had to be there. Highly recommended. Highly recommended. Um, what would be some episodes you would recommend the listener start with? Um, I, that's a good question. I would, uh, I would recommend the Sean Patton episode for a recent one that deals with some stuff that, uh, a couple good stories. Um, Kristen Shaw's yes. episode is also Super funny. a really good one. And de- they're all, all the ones that I've listened to. I, I've listened to Kristen Shaw, uh-huh. uh, Paul F. Tompkins, Sean Patton. Oh, yeah. And, uh, they, there is, if you enjoy this podcast, um, I think you will enjoy the, the, the flavor of, of their podcast as well. Cause it, I think it goes pretty deep and it's, it's entertaining at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so you just came from taping uh, Walking the Room. You're, uh-huh. you're the podcast whore for the day. I, I'm, I'm in L.A. Yeah. for podcast season. That's yeah. what I keep calling it. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm taping six this week. Are you really? In three days. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It's fun. Well, she just came from uh, doing Walking the Room with uh, with Greg Barrett and, and Dave Anthony, which is one of my favorite oh, uh, favorite this. podcasts. And um, you were saying before we started rolling that, uh, well... Well, I got in there. I got in the, they tape in a closet and, um, I got in the closet and I just 
we really got into it. We, uh, they kind of dissected my uh, pattern in relationships. And uh-huh. um, Greg pretty much told me that I hate myself. And that um, he's like, Nikki Glaser doesn't like Nikki Glaser. And I was like, I think I, I mean, I do on Facebook. I, I, I definitely like my, <laughs> but I know I was like, I, th- I think I like myself. But then he was like, I don't think you do. And I really trust Greg um, because I read his book. He's just not that yeah. into you at a very impressionable age. And uh-huh. so I like looked to him for this, uh, you know, I, I was like, oh, maybe I don't like myself. And then we were getting into all my relationships and Dave made some good points. Dave was just like, you need to go to therapy. There's no two ways about it. And I was like, I know. And so I, I left kind of like, there were moments in that podcast where I was like, I, like I was just discovering things about myself that I was mm-hmm. like, not okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shell shocked a little bit coming out of it, but yeah. I'm glad I'm here to further talk about it. Yeah. Well, when, when, when we had recorded last year, um, one of the things that you talked about, and, and I assume because you're coming back on, you're comfortable talking yeah. about it now, which is food, food issues. Oh yeah. Um, when did those start? You're from St. Louis. I'm from St. Louis. Um, I went to school in Kansas. I, uh, food issues started for me later than they do most girls. Uh, it was like when I was 18 and I, uh, you know, I always want, I dealt with it in high school feeling like I was fat constantly, which I was not, but, um, always feeling like I wasn't skinny enough or perfect enough. And then I went on a diet, my scene, exactly 10 years ago. I realized this morning when I was coming here, knowing that I was going to talk about this stuff, it was, it was probably this week, 10 years ago that I first stopped eating and was like, and then got positive reinforcement for it almost immediately. Like you, it could showed up on me right away. And I remember just girls at school being like, you, you look great. And it was the first time I had ever heard that really. I felt, and, um, or like the popular girls had, had pointed that out about me. And so then I just stopped eating and what's that like really difficult at first euphoric, Cause really? I'm getting, yeah. I mean, it was, there's a high from it for sure. A high when you're by yourself from not eating or a high just from the feedback from people. The feedback from people is the initial high because you're hungry and you don't know that there's no benefits yet, but then people start acknowledging how skinny and great you look. And then that's a huge high. And then that fades. Once you start looking scary, people stop telling you how great you look and they start showing concern but then you are chasing the high of feeling hungry because that is once associated, I think you once associated with looking great or something. At, at what point in denying yourself food do you get high from denying yourself food? Because I, I would imagine the first week mm-hmm. denying yourself food before anybody says anything is just plain shitty. I, or are you getting high this already? This is what happened. I wasn't denying myself in the beginning. I just wasn't hungry because for the first time in my life that week, 10 years ago this week, a boy who I really like asked me to prom. And I had liked that he was one of the popular boys. I'd always felt like I should be popular, but I never was acknowledged by them. And finally this boy asked me to prom and I was so nervous and excited about the whole thing that I just lost my appetite. And so, and then suddenly people were like, you look great. Did you lose weight? And I was like, I guess I have because I have, haven't been hungry. And then that just kept going. So I, it wasn't an initial like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. It just kind of fell off me at first. And then I was like, oh, this works. Right. So I'm just going to stop eating. And I was really ignorant about like, no, 
I, I look back on it. And I'm like, I was just dumb. Like I didn't know that you had to eat to like live. I mean, I knew that fundamentally, but I thought that I could just stop. And, um, and so I did. And yeah, it was, it was really, it's definitely really hard. There's like a lot of willpower that goes into it, but it's, um, it's the worst, but it, it I would say I would get high from where, when would I feel the high? I mean, watching other people eat, really oh my god it becomes i was i would watch the food network nonstop. i had no interest in cooking or anything related to food prior to it seems like torture to me it was like porn like i would watch it and just imagine what it would be like to eat that knowing that i will never eat not that i won't eat it now but i will never eat that again i will never eat another gram of fat or anything in my life like that's what i had you know that was going to be my life and um and so yeah I would watch the Food Network nonstop, and my my mom was like, "You're getting into cooking." I would prepare meals, never eat them, or just prepare them and say, "Oh, I have to go and just have other." And then, and would your brain be going back and forth between I should really have a bite of this because it's got to taste so good? No, it was when I make up my mind about something, it's it's I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Like I, that would have been if I would have had one bite of. A piece of cake it would have been all over for like it i would that would not have happened so it didn't it, happen so it sounds like there's a kind of um moral willful victory in it yes. that that gets you high that oh yeah i am strong mm -hmm. i can i'm controlling this do you think it's about control yeah. it has to be yeah yeah i don't know I've heard that from the beginning that it's all about control. I don't know mm. what that really means yeah. still to me, why I need that control or where I'm feeling a lack of control. I don't know where that's coming from, but mm. um, I definitely got off from, from knowing that mm -hmm. I, I can do this yeah. and that my other friends can't and people are, I, I'm not weak like them when in fact I was very weak physically uh, and mentally. Um, what what kind of dynamics were were happening in your uh, your life at that point that made you think you think that made you want to to experience that that sense of control was it was it you felt like you weren't as you were saying before you weren't popular enough mm -hmm. was it um i had missed out on the I, there were a lot of things going on at the time i was graduating from college i was or high school i was getting ready to go to college by myself on my own so i'm sure there was some stress involved with that i had um i didn't really know what i wanted to do in life i i felt the pressure to need to know because i thought i wanted to be an actress but i never got any of the leads and i felt like i had missed out on this one the the diary of Anne Frank. I thought I had the the role, the I had the lead role, and I'd done theater all through high school and never gotten the leads. Always gotten the sidekick or whatever. And I thought I had it, and then I didn't get it. And I felt like I didn't get it because I was too heavy, mm -hmm. and that was always a thing in the back of my head. So there was maybe some uh, heavy people don't look good hiding. <laughs> you're not gonna get the it's role. Not believable. Of Anne Frank. Oh, they'd find her right away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame Mr. Zoth for not casting me as Anne Frank. I'm blonde and I was so funny. I know you I know your podcast so well. I know him. I know your <laughs> I know your 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 theater teacher because he's come up uh, before. Yes. He's a big player in all of this. And and uh, funny enough, he was the first person to say I'm worried about you. So I I in I don't know what was going on why I need control. My friend uh, I had a friend 
commit suicide in November, the November before. So, you know, six months before. And he accused my best friend of he he said he killed himself because my best friend didn't love him. And so I was dealing with oh her. God. Yeah. How did she feel? I mean, it ruined her. She was my best friend since fourth grade. And I, she's better now. But I lost I lost two friends in that because he he killed himself. But before he did it, he left a note at her place pretty much blaming her for he can't go on because she doesn't love him back and they were friends and um and then he what shot am- himself and left a cd with this sad song on it that's kind of just like i'll never have you kind of song and just you, stuck you, her with you, it he wrote the song no it was a ben harper song that, yeah uh yeah so we I, I was with her when we found out and we had just the, the weekend before we had she had gone to a dance with him and i went with them with my date and we all hung out that whole night and he confessed his love to her when I was in the car with them and he was driving us to our place and it was very awkward and she was like David I just I I love you as a friend and he was like I just can't that's not enough for me and we were just like oh David's crazy and and I remember being like oh what's he gonna do on Monday he's gonna leave some note in your locker he's done it in the past and then he didn't show up at school on Monday and she was like he left some weird note this morning and I was like oh that's so weird she's like he's not here today and then that day we found out he killed himself the night before he'd left a note went home and shot himself and so that that totally and I dealt I dealt with that in a way I didn't know how to deal with that that is one of the meanest things I've ever heard I can't imagine a meaner thing to do to somebody mm-hmm. than to kill yourself and blame it on somebody it was, else. That is so sick I on haven't so many levels. For it. And it was hard because I was so angry with him that he just, my friend was so full of life and just one of the best people you've anyone's ever known. And it destroyed her. It, it she had, it, she was put through so much because of it. And, and we, our friendship totally went to shit because I was angry with him and everyone was mad at me for being mad at him. It was what? all poor David. What? And even her parents, like everyone was upset. My whole family was on my side about it. Like, Oh my, I can't believe David did this to Kirsten and, and everyone else in, in, in my life, all of my friends and our mutual friends were like Nikki, you know, how could you be mad at Dave? And I'm like, how could I not be mad? It was, it was really a, a weird time. And so then, so people were actually mad at her, not mad at her. They, no, no, no one was mad at her, but they weren't mad at him. No I one see. was like, poor. nobody could see the sick selfishness no. of that decision. And I was the only one that was furious with him. Like not even to the point where I wasn't sad about it anymore, where I was like, fuck David. Like and yeah. now I can look back and be like, Oh, he was a, he was my friend. I mean, he, he obviously was going through a lot and didn't know any better. But I'll, I mean, I'm still angry at him about it. But I was, I felt alone in that anger. And so I think, and then I also got no acknowledgement from my parents in dealing with my friend's death and my other friend's kind of death, yeah. uh, Kirsten. My parents uh, never knew David, never knew that I was friends with him. It was kind of like a friendship that I didn't bring around. Like it was just at school and then on the weekends and. So when he died and I was really upset about it, my parents never really like let me more. They they were just like, we don't even know this guy. You don't know. Like, get over it. And so I think that that might have had some play in me kind of going. Yeah. Who wouldn't feel overwhelmed by that? Yeah. I, I just remember the night after it happened, my mom being like <laughs> saying something like, you need to get over it. Like the night after really? it happened. And I remember that and just going in my room and like holding a picture of him and crying and kind of feeling like, is this wrong to feel so sad about? Because I... Is that how your mom deals with stuff is kind of uh, 
Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's like my whole family's way of dealing with things. Like, yeah. we don't ever talk about my sickness. It's mm. never mentioned. We kind of just... By the way, that's so great that you can call it that. Yeah, that's oh, really? That's really healthy. That's really healthy. Oh, thanks. You know, instead of my weakness or my, you know, because it that's what it is. I feel like I caught it's, something it's like It's a sickness. A, it is centered in the brain. Yeah. It is absolutely centered in I the brain. I feel that way about it. I definitely, because it's definitely in my past. I mean, it flares up every now and again. It, it will never be what it once was ever. I'm certain of that. But it it's definitely something that I look at like, oh, that happened to me. I didn't, I didn't create it. Yeah. Because that was the struggle for me was that I was doing it to myself. I always, everyone thought I was doing it to myself. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Just eat, Nikki, and you'll be cured. Yeah. So I always thought this is me doing, but so that is like, that was the hardest part of it, was feeling responsible for it yeah. and feeling such shame about it. But as soon as I was able to disassociate and and went to therapy and learned that this is like, as soon as someone said, this is a demon inside you and you're possessed by this thing, like you caught a sickness, you have the flu in your brain. Mm -hmm. Once I was able to be like, oh, this isn't your, your fault, I was able to really get, yeah. that was the hurdle for me. Yeah. The only the only responsibility, uh, in my opinion, that we have as, as addicts or people who have any type of you know addiction or whatever, yeah. is how are you going to deal with it? Yes. You didn't give it to yourself, but you now, now that you have knowledge of it, you have, because I have no sympathy for people that are aware that they're addicts and then just don't do anything about it and play the self-pity card. And I have no control over it. No, you have control over whether or not you try to live effectively yeah. with it. That's that's a responsibility that um, that I think a lot is lost on a lot of people, and Absolutely. then the, and then I think it gives addicts a a um, as if addicts need more of a bad name, but it gives addicts a bad name because people then say, oh well, all addicts are just full of self pity and just lack will and just blame it, you know, say it's a disease, it's it's not a disease. Well, you know, if you've never lived with something that so dominates your brain, that so obsesses you, that literally the thought of it gets you high. You don't know. You don't know. And you don't know that feeling of despair that that high takes you out of, which is like the double. It's like the mountain is twice as high. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're depressed, that addiction is, oh, my God, it's like going from your Death Valley to Mount Everest. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, I would depression hit me after it i never struggled with depression prior to becoming anorexic because it sapped my brain it's a, it was a, a symptom of it and um and they do you feel yeah. like the depression started when your friend killed himself no the depression started when um i was fine i was really like i was dealing with it and i think a lot of it was i was fine just because I, I had to be, because it, my parents expected me to be, I, my, I was, my friend was the one that was really the victim of his death. So all the focus was put on her. So I didn't, I was really okay. I thought, and then, um, depression hit when, when I was like, my brain pretty much started eating itself, you know, like yeah. I was just so hungry and my body was freaking out so much that I just fell into the worst depression of just, you know, I didn't have friends anymore. I couldn't hang out with my friends anymore because they were so worried. And my family was completely in denial of it. I mean, I would just lay in bed all day. Did the thought ever occur to you, I will never be skinny enough? Did it, did that 
Or was the, were you still kind of chasing the dragon? No, thinking? I was skinny enough. But I was at a point where I was just, I will never eat. I can't eat again. I cannot. And is it that you're not hungry or you... Oh, it, no. You're I was hungry. hungry. You're hungry. So it's that you don't want to lose that high of look at myself, Will. Yes. I mean, it, it almost felt like if I have one piece of cake or one piece of food that I've forbidden myself, then it will all go to shit and I will get fat instantly. I see. And that, yeah, everything you've worked for will crumble. And that that is one of the hallmarks of addiction is is a warped view of how the future is going to unfold. That yes. is absolutely, um, I mean, if, if I have learned anything in how to deal with addiction, um, it is stay in the present moment. The past and the future occasionally can help you, you know, the, the past can occasionally help you with insights, but the future you know, and then people are like, well, you know, I'm, how am I going to plan a career? How am I? Trust me, you're going to think about the future enough that that shit's going to get take care of itself. Yeah. But we we obsess so much about the future and get all fucking stressed out about stuff that will never, ever mm -hmm. happen. I think somebody said one time, I've had thousands of, of uh, uh, horrible tragedy, tragedies in my life, um, none of which have ever happened. <laughs> and I so related yes. when I heard that because it's like because you live them. Oh yes, I live them and live them in detail. Yeah, in absolute detail. And you being a creative person, um, I would imagine your fantasies of the doomy future are full of luscious details. Yes. Talk about what. Put yourself back in in, in that eighteen year old mindset. Let's say you would have that piece of cake. What what does your mind tell you? Like, give give me details of what that future looks kill, like. To... Just kill yourself if you do that. Like that, it's over. You're you're so weak if you have that. You're like the nobody's. You're gonna... a piece of shit. You're and, just yeah. And is that just how you would feel about yourself, or do you think that you would be ostracized, or you would you would stop getting dates, or I mean, what? I wasn't getting dates. I mean, I was so skeletal that it was. How, I couldn't how, leave. How far down were, were you? I lost, it started in like mid-February and by, I lost like 60 pounds in four months. I mean, and I know that sounds ridiculous. I went, I got, think I got down to like 90 something pounds and I'm a tall chick and I, I never, they wouldn't tell me what I really got down to because yeah. you're, you're not putting, supposed to know numbers. You were putting up Holocaust numbers. Oh, I looked... I looked, I mean, I can't go back and see pictures of myself again. It's too sad and that I walked around like that and that might, I mean, I. And were you as tall as you are now? Yeah. Uh, you're. Five, nine. And so, yeah, I was, it was just, I, I looked really, really bad. And so I was not getting dates and I knew I looked bad. I mean, I would look in the mirror. I wasn't like, you are looking hot. Like I was ashamed of how I looked, but I didn't see any, like, getting back to that, like, a happy medium. It was either... So what is the thought in your brain, though, that know. I'm hungry, I look too skinny, it's it's that I'm going to be fat if I start this? Yeah. It's, it's It's literally, you believe that this is a dam. Yeah. And if you just let a drop through, it's going to be a waterfall that will yes. envelop I you. I still have that. 
uh, in my like if I'm ever like dieting or watching what I'm eating or like I did I I did the dumbest thing that I could have done and I started a, a low carb diet over the summer because I was like oh you're gonna be on TV for this thing possibly and um, I said you know when you do low carb you got to cut out carbs completely and having that 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 thing of like you can't have any of that to to eat them again was really hard for me and I'm just now getting back to it. And this was in July that I cut them out completely. And I just, that, that thought if, if I have one gram of sugar, it's all, all the weight's going to come on and I'm going to be this fat, like, and I'm not, it's, it's, it's still plagues me yeah. to this. I mean, I'm still susceptible to it completely. Yeah. And I don't know what the fear is because I know rationally that I will not blow, get obese if I have one, piece of fruit or some or you know sugar or carb or whatever um but it's not an intellect you know addiction is not an intellectual disease you can be the smartest yep. person in the world but it's it's a feeling a feeling inside of you that that doesn't make sense shame i mean there's just so much shame involved self-shame were you eating. did you have a lack of control in other things in your life before uh, the food issue that, that kind of might have set a pattern for you losing control? Not, I don't, I can't pinpoint anything that I really felt out of control about. I mean, I, I never, I, I, I guess I never felt appreciated in socially. <laughs> I mean, like I, it's so embarrassing to say that I wanted to be popular, but I felt like I, had something in me that wasn't being acknowledged by people in school. And I felt like maybe I wasn't, I just hadn't reached my potential and maybe never would. I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't funny enough. Um, so maybe that was it. I mean, I rem I can go back and remember and it pains me to think of this girl, but like when I felt there would be nights in high school when I would just, my friends would go out and I would feel so fat that I would just, cry and cry and cry in bed and they would come over and be like let's go out and i'd be like i'm too fat my jeans don't fit. and it just makes it breaks my heart to think about that person but i was i definitely hated myself yeah. up until that point like in the last couple of years i i was involved in sports until sophomore year and then i stopped that and i i you know i filled out a little bit and um definitely was not comfortable in my own skin and receive flack about it from my parents and you know family members and i just receive flack about what about being overeating or just you know hey slow down there you know just start just okay. knowing that i was not the body type that i, I gotcha. should be for certain people i see so yeah. so this wasn't uh completely made up in your mind there was no i mean my mom my mom to this day I, and i know that the last podcast i spoke a little bit about her and that was maybe the reason why i didn't want to air it but I, I i know my boundaries with it now she um my mom has always been obsessed with her weight and always looked great to me but always told herself and and told me i'm i'm a fat ugly piece of like i'm disgusting oh i'm fat like to this day, she will never admit she's pretty. My mom's gorgeous, thin, but you never know it. Yeah. I, I never, so I never got that. I never learned to appreciate and tell yourself you're pretty mm -hmm. or to, I mean, she would always tell me I'm pretty. My dad showered me with compliments, but I never believed them because I would look at my mom say that she's fat and she was skinnier than me. I remember being like, mom, you're a size six and I'm a size 11. How, how can you say that you're fat and tell me that I'm, 
not and mm-hmm. and so i never believed her and so i i definitely learned that kind of body image from my mother for sure and to this day she did i went back home recently and she's like i'm disgusting and you can't compliment her it's just mm. it's so frustrating it's just and you can't I, you can't you can't get that person to see they're the only ones that kind of can walk through that door you can't you can't push them through that door i know but you can love them along the way yeah. you can tell them you love them i know and you're rooting for them and sometimes i i, I think you can um, say, I can't be around you. Um, I'm not saying that's what you should do, but um, I've had to do that with friends that, that won't get themselves help, that know that there's a problem but don't want to take the responsibility for it. Sometimes I think the most loving thing you can do is say, hey, it's just it's getting painful to be around you. I love you, but I just need a, I, I need oh, a break. God. Yeah. And sometimes that feels really good to do that. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I have done that before. I don't know that I could do it in this circumstance but yes yeah. i think that that's i mean there but there are times where i'm like mom i need a break yeah, yeah certainly when i go oh, home yeah. i i do that in little uh increments but um yeah it's and like even now see like i will get such positive reinforcement if i go home and i'm a little bit thinner than i was last time it's just you know and if i don't get it i freak out i'm like oh great i'm fat now because she didn't tell me i was thin i'm my the love i feel for my mom is very much wrapped up in weight mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate to say and because i know that it's she good. loves it's me good unconditionally can, it's good that you can see that though that's, but it that's is. the beginning for me it is i i know she would love she loves me no matter what but i know she loves me more when i'm thin <laughs> 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 I, I want you to put that on your gravestone. <laughs> That's so fantastic. I have a joke about it that I did in front of her this weekend, and I've done it before, but I um, I say I was just home for the holidays, and I don't know about you, but whenever I go home, my mom's always like, come hungry, you know, because she likes to see me thin. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it really, that joke to me is just so, like, you're sticking it to her because I know she does like to see me thin. Yeah. And, um... And it just sucks because it almost killed me. And it yeah. makes me so mad that they still, my parents still can't talk about it and, or, or, or that she can't. Just don't talk to me about your diet, mom. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. Almost that, it, that diet almost killed me. Yeah. Literally, like, it sounds I don't like think they know how close I was. They knew a, at the time, but not now. It sounds like a, a premium is placed in your household on what other people think. <sighs> God, that's all she cares about. And I just, and that's why I love stand up so much and the things I say on stage because I don't, I, I mean, as much as I probably do, I, I feel like I, I'm releasing that in some way by talking about things that make people uncomfortable. And like, yeah. I love that my parents are horrified by things I say on stage because yeah. I'm challenging what I've been taught from the get go, which is like, make sure the Joneses think that we're perfect. Mm-hmm. And I don't give a sh- I, I yeah. love, I love not being perfect mm-hmm. now and um, showing my parents that I'm okay with other people not thinking that because mm-hmm. that is that is so important in my yeah. house. Yeah, it's a, it's such a and I and I totally get that too. It's to me a very it's a socially acceptable form of confrontation. Uh, be, I, I, it didn't occur to me until I'd been doing stand up about five years that wow, these things I say that push people's buttons that piss them off, I can't do these in real life. I'm totally afraid of confrontation, but I can be this person w- with the microphone that is everything I want to be. Yep. 
I, I'm such a pussy in real life. But when you get on stage, yeah, I feel this. Uh, man, they came to my show last weekend, my parents, and I was really going to try to like clean it up and not be so. I mean, I'm, you were I'm back, really You were back in St. Louis? I was in Indianapolis, and oh, okay. they drove over to see me. And I will never, I don't really don't want them ever coming to a show again, unless it's like a TV set or something. Because I really like to like give of myself on stage and talk about things that real shit. And I, if anything, I did it more. I mean, the, the voice in my head saying hold back was just silenced and I went for, and I've, I think I made them uncomfortable and I'm I'm hoping it's not vindictive of me, but I'm pretty sure it was like, like, Oh, you, you're uncomfortable with that. Well then get a little Mm -hmm. bit like (laughs) I, I like pushing their buttons and I feel, I feel kind of remorseful about it now, how I might've made them feel at the time, but whatever. Do you think part of why we like doing it on stage is because nobody can butt in? Nobody can butt in and no one, if someone gets mad at you about, no one can get mad at you about it because you're perfor- you're doing. Your- if it gets a laugh, it's valid. Yes, exactly, exactly. Like I-, I like pissing people off when they have really no reason to really be mad at me when they're yeah. mad about the idea of it. But like I can defend myself. Hey, I'm on stage. You came to my show, right? So don't come if you don't. If right. this pisses you off. So you're completely protected. Yeah, and that's what I like about it. Yeah, it's like you sold tickets to the best argument in your life. Yes, it really is. <laughs> Come sit down and let me tell you what I think about you. And you have no right to tell me yeah. if anything I said upset you because you stepped into my world and yeah. that's what you risk going yeah. in is that I might upset you. Yeah, yeah. you're completely protected because I don't like confrontation. I don't like to upset people, but if, yeah. So what's some some of the stuff you were, you were saying that uh, some stuff got brought up when you were you were doing the the podcast with uh, with Greg and Dave um, that you thought might be good to, to talk about here? I have a string of all my relationships. I didn't date anyone until I was twenty four because I had never had a boyfriend or really been like I had a, a kiss once when I was seventeen, and then I was this by your own choice, or you were just shy, or guys just didn't ask you out? It was. It was a mixture of both, I would say, because I was so thin and so skeletal that no one was interested in dating me for probably, I mean, I was, I looked bad for three years. So from 18 to 22, I was not really that, probably 18 to 21, not that attractive. And then, um, the irony is that you waited until, uh, the, the diary Van Frank was over to lose the weight. No, I know. I would have, I would have gotten that part. Oh, you almost no, said I would have died. I did. <laughs> I almost did. Um, no, I know. But yeah, so I, I was so, I was so bad looking that no one wanted to date me. I was definitely interested in boys and kind of like living with my disease. So I didn't, mm-hmm. It was just my life. I, I thought I was like, I could date right now, and no one was wanting to. And you had gone to therapy. Did you go to any support groups? I had been to a couple support groups, but for me, they became competitive with the other girls in the in the room. Oh, like, my God. Which is a problem with a lot of eating disorder really? group therapy is that you're, you're constantly comparing. Yeah. Like, well, I didn't eat since, you know, it becomes a, it's not, it's better to have one-on-one for me at least. I'm sure it has helped some people, but, um, yeah, I went to therapy from the get go from 18 to to probably 21. And then I kind of, I kind of had a breakthrough with one guy who, uh, 
yeah, kind of let me know like this isn't your fault. And as soon as I was able to like talk to my disease, like I remember he took a chair and was like, here's your disease, yell at it. And as that was like a moment for me where I was like, I don't have to listen to you anymore. Like I, you're a voice in my brain that is not me. That mm -hmm. voice telling me not to eat is not me. So you just got to ignore it and yep. know that it's wrong and that you're being, I just really thought of it like I had to exercise a demon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how I dealt with it, and that's really how I got over it and was able to start yeah. eating again. And one of the biggest lies is you tell yourself, if I just give into it right now, that'll shut it up. And it feeds it. Right. It feeds it. Yeah. Feeds it. Um, yeah. When in reality, the, the, the way it. to deal with it is to get to the bottom of why that voice is saying what it's saying. What are, what are the core messages, you know, which usually to me boils down to, I don't have enough, I don't do enough, I'm not enough, I don't matter. You know, that's those those are the four that I deal with on a on a constant basis. So um getting back Me to what you were you, you were saying about what's going on in your life, there's yeah, a pattern. There's a pattern. So I I got my first boyfriend at twenty four. I was well into recovery. Like I it was a non issue for me anymore, really. And um and he was a, an alcoholic abusive verbally abusive, emotionally abusive alcoholic. It was a long distance relationship. It was um I finally got out of it, you know, two years later. And, um, and then since then I've just only dated either men with girlfriends or men who live very far away. So mm. it's, I'm in a pattern of not, uh, I obviously have a problem with intimacy and, uh, commitment and I, and yeah, so I don't know what to do with that, really, because yeah. I can't help what I'm attracted I feel like I can't help who I'm attracted to. Yeah. And I try to go for the opposite of what I've, like, I tried to date a guy that was really nice because I was seeming to just only be dating jerks. And then he ended up being a jerk. I know. End, and it was you just told like, me, or I heard on the podcast. Yes, yeah. So it's just, it feels, I'm very, and I just, I'm, I quit drinking in December. That's awesome. And yeah. And I'm, I love it. It's my new life. I really feel committed to it. And, um, and for the first time I am completely single. There's no one on my radar. I, f and I feel great about it. Like, I really feel like I need to take this time to like reevaluate everything. Cause I'm just, I'm going through a lot right now in terms of not drinking and dealing with that. Yeah. I would bet and, all those feelings that we stuffed down are, are coming up. What are, what are some of the thoughts and feelings that are, that are popping up as you, as you go through this? <sighs> Man, I would know because I hit them back down with pot and binging on okay. food. Okay. So I'm not even dealing with them yet. Okay. Whatever they are. So and you're just you're problem. just taking one of the blunt tools away, but there's still a couple of other yes. other blunt tools you're beating it back down with. And and these tools don't give me hangovers, so there's a better they're better for me in that way, but I I mean I had no idea. I just thought my drinking was a problem because it was giving me hangovers and, you know, making me work not as efficiently. And now I'm realizing, oh my God, like all the stuff I'm doing compulsively now that I'm not drinking, it's so obvious that I'm pushing something down and I don't know what it, I don't know what it is. Right. I don't know what, why I need to get fucked up and why I need to not be in my head. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. I, and that's what I feel like leaving the walking the room podcast. They're like, you need to go get therapy. And I was like, I, I, I know that I do. I know that there's something lurking, but all my, this is a really weird time for me right now because it's been two, two and a half months sober. And, um, 
all like I have some eating things that are coming back up that I've I haven't dealt with that drinking has just dealt has mm -hmm. taken this place of because I wasn't drinking when I was anorexic because of all the calories. But as soon as I started eating again, I would start drinking and that just totally took the like I'm just substituting here yeah. and there and I just I need I feel like I'm doing the lesser of two evils by right now, but I'm still yeah. I'm sure you've there's heard still evil things. I'm going sure on you've in heard the, the phrase "switching deck chairs on the Titanic." Oh my god! <laughs> no, I have not. But yeah, yes, that's, that's exactly that's, what I'm doing. That's what one of the things uh, we call it, and and I totally I totally get it, man. That you know, last night uh, it was about one in the morning, and uh, I just kind of had this. I don't know, just this vague, empty, blah, restless feeling. And I was like, oh, I forgot we got peanut brittle. And so I just went and I'm like, you know, of course, the first thought in my brain is it's almost two in the morning. What are you, what are you doing eating peanut brittle? Which then made me feel more guilty, which made me want to eat more peanut brittle. And, uh, and, I, and, and then there's that, that really sick moment when you're reaching into the food and you say, I'm going to take this big of a piece and then your fingers expand and you're like, no, I'm going to take this. And it's just like this argument with your body and your fingers and, uh, it fucking tasted so good. It yeah. tasted so good. And it, it did the trick, you know, it did the trick for, for that hour. It's like, I, I get it. And, it, and I have these moments where I totally feel like I identify with what, people have that go through through f food food issues you know i think that more I, I you are hard pressed to find anyone who doesn't deal have some kind of control issues with food yeah. and i think we all relate to it on some level um in this day and age but yeah that that whole man the the thing for me now is like i i will not um i can't i will never go back to the way i was of just not eating that just isn't part I can't do it. even if I wanted to I couldn't and I don't want to obviously but the I feel very out of control with my eating that the whole hand thing you're talking about making your hand just a little bit bigger or just even when I'm like I'm only gonna have this piece I know I'm lying to myself mm -hmm. I even say you're lying to your I say that in my head like you know you're telling yeah that is that's a nice thought you're having but yeah. you're going to finish this yeah. entire package you're gonna do it in five trips so it doesn't look as bad exactly you know and I'll do that I, I mean, I cannot, this is embarrassing for me to admit, but fuck it. I mean, I, I can't have food in my house. It will be eaten. I cannot. The, so that to me, I, I have, it's all. So yeah. let's talk about why then you knowing all this stuff, why the hesitation to, to go back to get help, to get help. Um, I don't know findings. I don't. Do you think I don't it's going to be? Do you think it's going to be inconvenient, uncomfortable, sure. painful? Yes. You're going to have to maybe. Um, like there's no there's no fixing this. There's that kind of thought going through. Like. But there's a managing it. There's. A, I know. There is. I'm definitely. I'm getting. I'm going to get help. That's the next step because not drinking has really shed a lot of light on that. I mean, I'm. I've definitely come to tr like. I have a problem. I have problems. Yeah that I need help with like the just, I don't, I want to have kids someday and I want a husband someday. I want all that stuff, but I cannot have it with the way that I have the secret uh, relationship with food that I don't, I, I can't see myself and no one else is fitting in that right now. Like it's just me and food and like, it's, 
I have to break up with food and I don't know how because you have to keep food in your life. Yeah. Well, That's how, the hardest thing. How about how about you the idea though it. that you don't have to break up with food but you have to make friends with with food. Um you know, so that it's a neutral thing and it's not, it's not shit and it's not a cake. You know, know. it's somewhere in between. Because, you know, the addict mentality, and I'm the same way, is I don't do five. I do zero or ten. And mm-hmm. that makes life fucking unmanageable. Mm-hmm. It makes life exciting. Yes. You know, sometimes I think the excitement of it, where I was just talking to a friend this morning and he, you know, he was saying, how's it going? And I said, it's going, it's going great. But there is this weird silence, this weird lack of drama that activates this thing in my brain that tells me you obviously aren't paying attention because you should be worrying about shit. Yes. And that is my addict. That is my addict. And I'm beginning to see it more and more now. And I think it's that. That is what makes us do the zero or ten. It's like we, we, you know, we get a little calm. We get, a, and, then, and then it's like, oh my god, I'm not paying attention because I'm not worried because there isn't that excitement that I'm used to yeah. from the rest of my life. It's a weird, eerie silence. But that that silence, I think, is who we are naturally. That's the that's the, that's the place to get to and live in without guilt or fear. And I've had glimpses of it, and it's fucking beautiful. It's beautiful, and it is there. It is absolutely there for us. That is, the, I know exactly what you're talking about, and that is what I go. I go. I need to get high. I need to smoke some weed. Yeah. I need to find weed right now because I'm feeling something that it feels bored. It's not a boredom, but you're right. There's it's like restless. It's something's vacancy. missing. There's a vacancy. Something's yes. missing. That I'm just. I gotta. I gotta do something. This what? isn't right. Right. It's not right. It's restless. Something's yeah. wrong. Hmm. I know it'll make it right. Yeah. Oh my God. It's I've had that that conversation in my head. Oh my God. Five hundred thousand times. Five. Maybe not that articulately. More of a just. Uh, bleh, this sucks. I got to do something. I got to do something. Yeah. Or blame somebody else for how I'm feeling. Oh God. Yes. You know. Oh, if my manager only had done this, then I would have gotten yeah. that, and then I'd be happy. That's the worst. Well, I'm more. I'm more blame myself, which becomes another person that yeah. I can put. Like it becomes yeah. like this characterization yeah. of myself that I can put all the blame on and hate that person. Right. I do. I mean, yeah. Greg was saying Nikki Glaser doesn't like Nikki Glaser, and I'm like. On paper, I think I'm fucking great. I'll sell that. Like, I think I'm funny and my career's going where I want it to. But yeah, I I clearly am not comfortable being alone with myself. I clearly don't like something about myself. I don't know what it is yet, though. But I'm going to, I want to, I want to figure it out. I'm really, I'm, I want to get my shit together. I'm, I'm taking the steps to do so. And I think therapy is the next step because I can't, this eating shit coming back up. I'm like, N- it's been there the whole time, yeah. but drinking just took the place of it. And now mm-hmm. it's like, Oh God, there you are again. 10 years later, you're still feeling just as out of control with it mm-hmm. and having the worst relationship with food ever and feeling like it's your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it really like I, I would rather go home with food i want to eat and spend the night in bed eating and then feeling sorry about what just happened i'd rather do that than hang out with someone i like it's it's really sad and then but then sometimes the, but then i'll get a boyfriend get real interested in someone and then again i get this like oh i lost my appetite and like i go back to normal eating because i'm on like a schedule eating with them and then i'm like but that's all I'm pu- putting, 
I'm totally codependent on them. And then Mm -hmm. as soon as they're gone, it comes back. So it's, I don't know where the balance is. Yeah. It's that, that zero or 10 thing, man. It's like, it's my enemy or it's my God. Yeah. How do I, how do I just make it my friend? I'm so envious of people who can just eat when they're hungry and don't eat when they're not. I mean, it just doesn't seem like something I will ever be able to do. Yeah. But I, I will not have kids if that doesn't go. I do not want to have bring them into that drama. I Good know. For you. I just cannot. I don't. I don't want a little girl. I, I don't want to make a me. <laughs> like I don't. I mean, I turned out great. I think, but I don't want. Yeah, I just know that those habits are so easily picked up on. Is, is, uh, it, is it fair to say that you don't want to instill the anxiety that you think maybe your mom instilled in you? Not instilled, but you absorbed? Yeah, because my sister didn't get any of it. She's yeah. a totally has healthy relationship with food. But um, uh, yeah, so I don't think it's, yeah, I just don't, I got, there's so much I got to get together before i even think about having kids do you believe that that. it's did you believe that it's doable that there is there is uh i don't know paul would you would you believe that there that there is that it that there's nothing i believe in more deeply and if there's anything i want people to understand from this from this podcast is there if we keep working towards the solution our lives absolutely, absolutely get better. I've never met anybody who has worked, who has put effort into getting better, um, no matter what their issue is, um, that has not had their life improved by it. Yeah, it doesn't take pain or you know any of that other stuff away, but it allows them to deal with it in a way that's manageable. That that their life becomes um, easier. And, you know, I heard somebody say one time, um, this person had been in a support group for years. And, uh, this person said, you know, if this is one of the most valuable things this has given me is to be comfortable with unresolved problems. And that struck me like a bolt of lightning because I used to be so anal about problems in my life. Mm. And I thought that the goal in life was to not have problems, to have this kind of clean kitchen. And that's, that's a sick fantasy. Yeah. It's a sick fantasy and it's unattainable. And even, but you would be bored without your problems too. Absolutely. You would, you would feel that restlessness. I would find you'd something need else. to go find, make one. Go shopping or find an enemy, mm-hmm. you know, to obsess on. Or, mm-hmm. um, but learning to be comfortable with, uh, and I, and I think what's really closely related to, um, uh, that is being comfortable with, our own imperfections, being comfortable uh, knowing that, oh, I can be a little bit this way and I can be a little bit that way and oh, here's how I react when I do that and I'm not a bad person. I'm just fucking human. Yeah. Telling myself, feeling like I'm a bad person is often, yeah. Being able to say, yeah, I'm flawed and that's fine. Yeah. And I'm not a bad person because that's the worst is when you feel like you're and it's not a new thought. I mean, yeah. everybody knows that intellectually, right. but how do you get to that place? And I have to tell you, it's one of the hardest things to truly believe that you are okay, you have enough, you do enough, and you're lovable, and you matter. Um, and to feel that and believe it is a super, uh, super hard thing to maintain, but it's it's absolutely, it's absolutely doable. It took me fucking eight years of intense uh, work to get there, but it's... 
and I slide back and forth. You know, I dip back into it. Yeah, you know, peanut uh, brittle. Peanut brittle. That's that's so funny because that just just came into my mind. Sure. But let's get back to uh, talking about what's going on with you. Do you feel like doing a fear off? Sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to be doing fears from a, a listener who uh, didn't put their name. Um, I'll, I'll start off with uh, with hers. Um, I fear my overuse of LSD and ecstasy as a teenager in some way changed my chemistry and caused my son's autism. I fear that I, I say too much. I share too much okay. on these podcasts. Um, she says, I fear that my next skin cancer will be the serious kind. Mm. Oh, she's going right to the fucking... Uh, no easing into it with her. Aut- autism and cancer right out of the gate. Jesus. I fear I'm going to die in a freakish way and then someone's going to have to clean out my apartment and realize who I really am. <laughs> oh, that, there's no way I'm, I'm I'm continuing without getting into that one. What what are they going to find in uh, uh, in the apartment? You know, no, man. And and I have the same fear, by the way. Sure, I think we all do. I think anyone can relate to that, but um I just I fear like the I'm messy, I will say. Um, I, that I can't even go into what I fear people because it's, it's so embarrassing. Come on. I mean, I I fear people will see. Oh my god, I fear people will know the truth about my eating issues from uh, what they find in my life. I mean, I don't think they would actually, now that I'm saying this, I think cover it up pretty well, but like, I fear that someone will find out what I really do when I'm alone and it'll freak some people out. I mean, it's, I mean, every addiction has its ugly sides. Absolutely. And without getting into it, I mean, I definitely, there's things I do that I'm not, or have done that I'm not proud of. And I'm, 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 I'm scared that that, yeah, that I, I will gladly talk about them when they are not a part of my life. I, okay. Down the road someday, they are going okay. to be in my act. Okay. That's how I live every, anything that's ever embarrassing that's about me. I know it's going to, there's a space for it in the act someday that's or in the awesome. book. Right now I'm in it, so I yeah. don't have as much perspective and I'm not able to really articulate what I mean by that. But it's not anything, t- I mean, it's, Yeah. I'll leave it at that. It's not a, a nine-foot dildo uh, <laughs> in a rotating picture of yourself. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, and that's a great one, by the way. That, that That's such a uh, – I, I totally relate to that one. Um, I used to look at uh, pornography that made me feel bad about myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been, you know, 10 years since I looked at uh, anything like that and – but I used to uh, be afraid that people were going to find out that yeah. you know I looked at that kind of stuff, and um, uh, so I I totally get it. Um, uh, what is she? I'm afraid that uh, I will never go back to college. Mm. I'm afraid I'll be fat. <laughs> Uh, I'm afraid I will not resolve the conflicted feelings that I have for my mother who is so clingy that I want to distance myself from her and she will die and I will feel a mountain of guilt for not fully accepting her love. That, mm. that, holy shit. Um, do I relate to that one? God damn it. 
Yeah, I, f- I fear, um, well, I know, <laughs> I don't fear it. I know my, uh, my mom will never acknowledge her, her problems. Yeah. And I also fear that she will never, there's maybe some hope, but okay. I don't think so. I fear my husband or I will accidentally slip uh, into alcoholism. I fear that my mom will hear this podcast. Uh, I fear my husband will get tired of my self-loathing getting in the way of believing the sincerity of his feelings for me. Mm. That's a that's a good one, too, because that man, it's hard to let people love you when when you're not sure about what they're loving. Yeah. And let me you know, if I can say anything, people can see deeper into us passing us on the sidewalk in 10 seconds, I think, than some of us can see in a lifetime. And if we don't work on ourselves, we we miss getting to see ourselves objectively and see the truth for who we are, not in a way to beat ourselves up, but in, in a way to accept accept ourselves. And when we do get that glimpse, it's fucking beautiful and peaceful. Yeah. Am I talking too much? I fear no, I'm talking too much. No, you know what? Much. This is... I fear that I'm not listening well enough because I'm so in my head about okay. what I'm fearing. It's okay. <laughs> so you're talking and I'm hearing you, but I'm not processing it. No, I know because it's hard to think of fears while while someone else no, is, I'm is, not is even, talking. Yeah, I'm sorry. Are you in? Are you into fear about um, what you're saying on the podcast and the effect it's going to have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm I'm sticking to this one. This is one's going live. I I mean I I walked into this knowing what I was going to say. And, um, I just. I know, uh, yeah. My my mom won't hear it, and I and I love my mom, and I she's so gr- I I vilify her on these things. I feel like, but she's she's great, and I f- I feel like I'm. Um, it was it was really hard for me to tell my parents that I quit drinking because they're really disappointed because they're drinkers. Yeah, and it made. You know, they're supportive now, but when I first told them, they were like, why would you do this? Like, you don't have a problem. And then I think that it felt like it reflected on them. And my mom said to me, she was like, well, do you still smoke pot? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, good. And I was just like, oh, why did that exchange just happen? It was really like, I mean, I talked about it on my podcast and laughed about it, but it that really is a is hurt. Yeah. That like... It's almost like your mom saying, you're not getting to the truth, are you? Yeah. No, I'm not. Oh, good. I know. Yeah, it's exactly that. I, I went into therapy with her once and um, in the early stages when I was like right at the beginning of before we had even diagnosed anorexia, I think I, we were all just calling it a diet still. And um the woman pretty much told my mom, like, your daughter's anorexic. And I was, like, hearing it for the first time. And I was like, no, I'm not. But she was like, she has all the symptoms. Like, it's definitely that. And my mom denied it. And then uh, I kind of, like, talked about my mom's drinking as maybe something that concerned me. And the woman, the woman, my mom was like, I don't have a drinking problem. And I was like, well, I think maybe you do a little bit. And she, and the we kind of went back and forth about it. And then... Of course, my mom was getting really defensive, and the woman said, well, how can you expect Nikki to start eating if you don't stop drinking? And my mom said, I will never stop drinking. So that's off the table. And I just remember her, like, if even if that was, maybe that's not the reason that I would right. start. But if that was an option for me to, to live, would yeah. be for you to stop drinking, and you just put that on the table that I will never stop drinking, and that's it, 
close conversation that like was like a punch in the face to me yeah and maybe and then we left that place and she was like we're never coming back there and we never talked about it again but that that session was just like like that's i felt like oh god that's more important my getting fucked up at once a week is more important to my mom than me mm-hmm. being healthy well i would i would imagine if she cares so deeply uh, as most people do what other people think about them um how could alcohol not be your friend how could it not be your best friend what do you mean by that um the tension of being in a room full of people and caring deeply that uh about what other people think of you and afraid that they're talking about you who wouldn't need the relief of alcohol in yeah. that situation who wouldn't who wouldn't need that lubrication yeah you know otherwise it it, it you're you're stuck in that so i i get that um what i don't get is knowing that and not wanting to do something to thinking that that's the solution problem too but it's fear it's just fear and i tell you somebody said one time fear is a mile wide a mile high and paper thin and i have come to find out that it is exactly true the things that i thought you know making apologies to people who i had hurt uh, you know i i just thought oh this is going to be the fucking worst this is going to be and it some of the most beautiful moments I've ever had. You know, I'm so, I was so afraid of being vulnerable for so much of my life. And it's, this sounds corny, but it's through that door is the fucking greatest room you will ever, you will ever find. Every, all the feelings you wanted in life that you were trying with blunt tools to get, um, for me, came by walking through that door of willing to be vulnerable, willing to, to really look at who who I am and what I've done and to love myself despite despite those things and to talk to another person and to say I'm sorry and to and to just sometimes when I'm afraid just to be just to be afraid and say I'm feeling afraid right now uh, or I'm feeling angry and not try to stuff that feeling down but just let that feeling pass through me um, it's it's hard, but it you can relearn. You can relearn yeah. and rewire that part of ourselves and quiet that voice down. That voice can absolutely, absolutely be quieted. Um, I think you're in that that place where your willingness is growing each day to get into the solution and get out of yeah. I want the out. discomfort. I'm I'm reaching my my bottom. Like yeah. with, uh, I really I feel. I feel like I'm done living like I have been. It's been 10 years now yeah. of with this eating shit and I'm, I'm really wanting to move on. And, um, and yeah, I think the, f- uh, I saw my parents this past weekend and they, I felt like I was on, a, they, they even said, they're like, you're a different person. Like there's something going on with you and I couldn't been it either, but I really do feel like, um, I'm on the brink of something. Yeah. I feel, I feel positive about it and I'm, I'm definitely going to get yeah. to therapy because this feels great. Yeah. Talking about it. And good. it good. feels awesome. It feels so good to me. It really it does. Re- it it's, does. It's There's no you know denying what? it. I for, I always forget how great it is. I, it, it is. And and that's part of the, the addict in our brain is it, is it tells us it's not going to be good. Yeah. It tells us it. And this is all, this is the feeling that I've always wanted my whole life is this feeling of being connected to somebody and feeling, um, trusted and respected 
and um, uh, I don't know if loved is too too strong of a word, but yeah. I think that I think that is even though you and I don't know each other, I think what we're exchanging is is love. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what love is based on yeah. is, is vulnerability and intimacy and Absolutely. and all that other stuff. And to have that with somebody that you don't know that well, that's one of the most awesome things in life to me because it tells me there's love everywhere out there. There's a lot of places where there's hate and fucking awful shit, but we underestimate how much love is there for the taking. If yeah. we're willing to get into that energy where, where it can flow back and forth. But yeah. it's, it's hard to it's hard sometimes. It's unfamiliar to get to that place. It really is. And I struggle with it in my closest relationships, talking about this kind of st- I mean, stuff we're talking about yeah. now. I haven't gotten into it with any of my exes, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And um, it feels good to talk about. It's, it's yeah, it feels, it feels right. And I don't feel wrong about it. I don't yeah. feel a sense of... Um, I, feel, I always feel lighter. You know, I feel, I just feel like, um, you know how there's always like a clock ticking in your head, like got to get there or got to get this. It just, the clock stops ticking. Time kind of stands still Yeah. and there's no past or there's no future. There's just right now. And, uh, people that meditate always talk about, do you meditate? I do. I do. And that really, really, really helps. I want to get into it. I've been researching it a little bit, but that seems to be like something I could get into. Oh yeah. And it introduces you to your thoughts. Um, you begin to see what's really going on with you and, and, um, yeah, highly, highly recommend that. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of our best creativity comes from, from, uh, meditation. Uh, this episode is sponsored by when breath becomes air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, back to the back to the fear off. Um... I I will always carry the taint of what I now look back on as a white trash upbringing and that others can smell it from a mile away. Ooh. I like this woman whoever she is. I do too. I'm I'm feeling you on that one. 
Um, I fear I'll I'll never find uh, a companion. Uh, I fear my vagina will change in horrible ways as I grow old. That's awesome. Oh, God, ditto. Yeah. I fear I won't make it. But look at how much success you have. <laughs> yeah. You found, your, you found your voice on stage. I fear that I'll never feel like I made it. Yes, that's a good one. That is a good one. Um, we will end up poor despite all our hard work and sacrifice. I'm not feeling this now, but I often fear I'll never be hungry again. So I have to eat like I'm like, like it's you, you eat like I could just stop and then be like, oh, you're going to feel like this, how great it is to take that first bite when you're hungry. That that'll come back. Yeah. But I was there for some reason I can never picture it. I fear like, oh, I'll never get that back. So wow. just eat all you can now. It's just amazing how each each disease has its own uh, favorite uh, sound bites yeah. in our in our head. Um, she says, I am afraid um, some tragedy will befall one of my children. Not specific at all, but there are so many. Mm. I fear I'll, uh, I feel I'll be raped. Um, I fear, she says, I fear my husband secretly thinks of me as a fool or a child. I fear my parents will die. I fear I will never get a firm grip on my body image, and despite the numbers on a scale or the size of my clothes, I will always see myself as grossly overweight. I fear oh, I smell bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I fear someday my kids will feel about me the way I feel about my mother. Oh, God. If you can come up with one more, you will have defeated her. Oh, and she uh, here's the name she wants to be called, Cherry Soda. Oh, cherry soda. I like that. SO. I fear I'll never enjoy a cherry soda. You got to come without, up with, You got to come up with a better one than that. But that to, no, to that's pressure. a uh, Seriously? I'll let all Oh, because I'll you don't drink defeat, soda? I don't I can't enjoy This is the thing. I um getting a little bit into what I was talking about before. I when I binge, I binge on extremely healthy food. Like I do not touch Really? I do not touch peanut brittle pizza. But I mean, I don't eat bad for you food. I haven't had fried food ever like yeah. in 10 years um and so when i go all out i'll just eat a ton like i love healthy food it's like my favorite food so i'll just eat it like if you looked at what i ate you'd be like oh that's not bad and that's why i'm able to stay thin and eat mm. so fucking much because mm. i eat really healthy food i can't enjoy i can't enjoy cake i do eat cake when like there's a birthday or something like i'll let myself have it but i'm not enjoying it as it's going down i will i don't enjoy the t I'm beating myself up in my head as I'm taking a bite. Have you ever pulled uh, cake out of a, a trash can? Cake that was thrown away and eaten it? I've, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I've I've eaten things out of the trash and had to spray kitchen cleaner on them just so I wouldn't eat it. Yeah. yeah. Destroy yeah. it. Or, you know, take a bag of chips and baked lays, of course, and just take the biggest handful you can find and throw it out the window of a car when I'm always eating on the road, when I get snacks really? on the road, dispose of half of it because I'm going to eat it all. Right. It will all get, e there's no way it won't. Right. So just get it out of there right away. Um, oh yeah, totally. Just like when you say you ooh. eat a lot of it, by the way, you have defeated uh, our, our, our listener. She had so some really good she ones. She was though. good. Jesus. But look at you, a uh, miles Davising it and, uh, and crushing her. Oh, thanks. Um, Sorry. I didn't come with my list. That's Okay. 
Um, uh, when you say uh, you were talking about eating incredible amounts of healthy food, mm-hmm. give me an example of a, a day when you kind of go off the deep end with food. What would you eat and how much of it? If, mm. Okay. If you yeah, fe- let, me, let me just think about if I want to go here because it really... I don't want to would. shame you. I no, don't no, want no. to shame you. I know, I know you don't. And that's why I'm I'm trying not to shame myself in saying this. It would be, I mean, I'll just talk, cal- let's just talk calories. Okay. I will consume, I can consume, you know, 2,000 calories in, in a sitting of very healthy food, which is not easy to do. I mean, yeah. 2,000 calories of not healthy food is that's, easy. You know, that's like a pizza or whatever. Yeah. Um but I can do it with not with healthy food. So large volumes of food. Do you, yes. So do you do you do you get off on volumes? Yes. Of food. I would. That's my whole thing. Is like I want to eat as much as possible without taking in as many calories. I like. I will always. I want more. I I don't like uh, concentrated calories right i get I that like to because, spread it out because then i get to do it yes, longer exactly it's why i was a beer drinker it's, yeah. i tried to switching to, to hard alcohol once and it was a fucking nightmare because yeah. i i the the standing around and being uncomfortable in my skin yeah drinking the act of bringing something to my mouth yep. brought me relief and that's why i drink i drank when i drank yeah I would dilute it, vodka sodas, but it would be like tiny little bit of vodka and tons yes. of soda, but I would get way more wasted than anyone. I would just be chugging them. I mean, I remember from an early age, very early, my dad being like, my first judgment I ever felt like, oh, I'm a bad person is like my dad being like, you slow down, you chug everything. Like I was, I've just always been a like a I inhale food. I inhale. I, so, I, I eat God, I so, so fast I and so, so much. I mean, I freak people out. Like, yeah. it's really a, a thing for me that I've I've become a lot more like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, I'm gonna eat this salad really fast, and it's I'm gonna eat a lot of food in a short amount of time. It's gonna freak everyone out. I become more kind of unapologetic about it just because I have to. Yeah. Because you're yeah. I have an addiction, so right. get used to it, America. Right. <laughs> um. And so, do you ever but, do you ever chipmunk it? What does that mean? Where you uh, just stu- you you can't swallow it fast enough, so it backs up in your cheeks. Oh, I no. do that all the time, really? almost every day when I when <laughs> I eat, because I, when I get hungry, I have no patience and I want that. Oh, so I'm, I just start chewing and chewing and chewing, but I can't. I, I the taste okay, is so yes. good. But and and I get mocked sometimes. People will make like this. Fa- I got mocked by a stranger one time. Wow. I was eating at uh, at a at a restaurant and I was by the plate glass window just staring out and I was just chowing down on this hot dog and this woman went past and just stopped right in front of me and just made this big fat face and mocked me and I was like, oh my god, oh I have no god. idea what I must look like. Oh, that that that's the worst when strangers feel like they can chime in. I mean, I, I it happens to me all the time because I do eat ginormous salads and a very like salads are my thing because that's like the the biggest thing you can get with the mm-hmm. least amount of calories or whatever. And um, yeah, I remember in in college, girls at a uh, girls at this frat party were whispering and being like, "That's the salad girl," because like, I would go to the salad <laughs> bar and just load up a pile and just devour it. And um, and I just remember being so humiliated. But yeah, that that uh, yeah, chewing a bite, but already getting ready to put the next yes. bite in your mouth. I mean, yes. it's my life, and I've 
I struggle. I've never been, I've dabbled in bulimia. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Mm-hmm. I've definitely have. And I've denied it in the past to therapists and everything and said, cause that was never my go-to method. And I've, I've dabbled and they're here and there. It, it, I'm not going to, I like, it does come back. It comes back up. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there are, t- you know, there are times when that's happened, but it's never been my go-to thing. And yeah. it's, but th- sometimes it's not that even I'll make myself, it just happens because you eat too much. Like it's such a, it's really something I'm struggling with. And I know I'm, the thing is, I know I'm not alone. I know so many yeah. people, it's just not talked about that much because it's so disgusting. Yeah. Food. The shame that's involved. I mean, the shame with every addiction, but I've just, I I know I'm not alone on it. And I know I'm not disgusting and a bad person and all that stuff, but it's hard sometimes to, to really feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but it's good to talk about. And I hope that, um, I hope that your, some of your listeners relate and I know are, do they not will. feel so alone. Too. No, I know they will. And I think that's a, a great, uh, a great note to end on. Unless there's something else that you, you had that you wanted to, uh, to talk about. I think that's, I think I'm good. We'll have to do a, another episode sometime because I know there's more. Yeah. But yeah. This has been really great. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming by and, uh, talking about stuff that I know, uh, can't be can't be easy but um yeah and it's it's there it's just weird to me that i really did think that i was done with it and it was in my past and it was something that and that's why i kind of started talking about my eating disorders because i was like that's my past and all of a sudden it is now my present again and i'm okay with talking Mm -hmm. about it still even if i'm going through it i think Mm -hmm. that's that should be okay to talk about things that you're, that's the way yeah. to, to get past them. Absolutely. You know, the, the way I look at it in, in, with addiction is it, it will never go away, but you can get it down to where it's an ember. Yeah. You know? And so what are you going to do to deny that thing oxygen? And that's then what life becomes. I need to fold those things into my life on a daily basis that deny that ember oxygen. And when I do, my life is awesome. My life is awesome. Um, and when I don't, it's up in flames yeah. and it's, you know, and it's, I'm on my way there. Yeah. I mean, I would not be able to talk about this stuff uh, as I'm saying, and I'm like, I can't, I was not going to admit that thing or, you know, I'm really glad I have though. And I know that being able to say that I am currently struggling with these things is the f- first step in, in, in getting better. So I feel like I'm, I'm, That's I feel weird. good about being on my way. I really do feel positive about well, all of this i feel privileged to uh to be here to uh thank you Paul. to listen to it so Ugh. thanks nikki thank you many thanks to uh to nikki glazer um uh, before we take it out with uh, uh what i think is a fascinating uh survey uh from a listener this survey response was this is from the uh, the basic uh, mental illness happy hour survey and it was filled out by a guy who calls himself dark mockery you know it's going to be good when you're out of the gate you're calling yourself dark mockery um he's straight he's uh oh i'm sorry this is this is not from the basic survey this is from the shame and secrets uh survey um he's in his 30s he uh, was raised in a uh, stable and safe environment uh he's never been sexually abused um deepest darkest thoughts he writes i have thoughts of killing raping and mutilating people and being killed raped and mutilated i also have thoughts of self-mutilation and suicide deepest darkest secrets 
things he's done or things that have happened to him. He writes, uh, I've been picking up street prostitutes of any gender and age for about 15 years. The youngest was 16 and the oldest 62. I've paid from $5 to $300. I once paid a cross-dresser to basically rape me. I've never been sexually abused or molested. I have no idea what drives me to do this, and I really, really want to stop. I have started seeing a psychologist. Uh, do these secrets and thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes, I feel like no one could love me. I was married for 15 years, and she still doesn't know. I recently got married, and my new wife doesn't know. I'm torn between keeping this a secret and telling them. I don't want my marriage to end, and I know this will end it. So I walk around every day wondering if I'll get caught, wondering if I should tell my wife, wondering if I should just run away and live the rest of my life alone. And then, uh, do you have any comments or suggestions to make the show better? He writes, listening to your podcast prompted me to go see a psychologist. I'm now on medication, and I'm amazed at the difference in me. I no longer have the impulse to pick up a prostitute. My harmful thoughts have subsided. I, oh, I also love it that your guests are so real about your lives. Thank you so much for your show. Well, thank you for writing and saying that. And uh, if you haven't gathered it already, those of you out there listening, there is hope. You're not stuck. You are not alone. Thanks for listening.